Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, on tonight's show, we're going to be talking about 2013's um, A Touch of Sin, our first Chinese film, um, directed by uh, Jay Zhangke, um, and uh, pick from Stephen, so... We'll be uh, obviously checking that out a bit, a little bit later on the show, uh, but of course it's time to ask as always what you've been watching. And Stephen, I mean, what's your viewing been like? Because obviously in these uncertain times where we're being forced to stay at home and you know not go out and socialise, uh, has it really sort of like boosted your movie viewing, or has it sort of like uh, remained kind of the same? What I would say is it has. I mean, I'm I, I am still working. But I've been working from home. I've been working from home like a week before the lockdown started in yeah. the UK. So Stephen's working. <laughs> no, no. Actually, j- joking aside, I've never been busier because um, everything's become awfully inefficient. Everything's become a Skype call. Everything that would take a five-minute conversation with the person next to you has become an hour-long meeting. So I'm literally getting up, having my breakfast, sitting in front of my PC, going on Skype calls from nine through to six and barely having a stop it's horrible but that doesn't mean that i don't have the evenings free and i've been doing a couple of things one is knocking a few films off the old cinema shame file but nothing that's um that's relevant here today and also catching up on my netflix queue my netflix uh is now paying for itself (laughs) which which maybe it wasn't wasn't necessarily before um but i have caught up something um that, that that's suitable for this film uh for this film for this podcast a film that i i'd got hold of a while ago and actually i thought it was only a couple of years old but it turns out it's from 2008 it's called go go 70s um so it's a south korean film directed by Choi ho um it's a hmm how to explain it it takes the form of a musical biopic tells the story of a band called the devils who sort of started up in the 70s in and around the american um air bases army bases so there's there's a lot of clubs that were for, for american servicemen um, a lot of korean well, but both a lot of korean bands started up playing you know the saturday nights but and also lots of girls there you know trying to get a yankee husband and all that kind of thing yeah um this band um well basically one band merges with another band and and and, and they pick up soul music or black music as they call it and there is some uncomfortable language around um black people and asian people being black and things like that but i think it's it's trying to be somewhat critical of it so and and it's obviously of the time so you take that but basically they play cover versions of mustang sally and things like that and call it soul music Mm. but hey ho um um but the the band then gets bigger and bigger and more successful and what we have to remember is this is at the time of the of the south korean military dictatorship so you know go back to 
what was the film we looked at a few weeks ago? Um, Peppermint Candy, that, that sort of time. And so the that military dictatorship sort of bashes down on the counterculture and youth culture and things like that. And they, there's a curfew in Seoul. Um, you know, no, no young people allowed out between midnight and 4 a.m. So basically, counterculture says, fine, we'll all stay in the club then. And there becomes a club scene which exists between midnight and 4 a.m. And so there's quite this exciting musical um, scene appears, but then things get even worse. And I don't want to spoil it for people, but the, you know, the police brutality and beatings and things come in. So as a film, it's fine. It obeys all the usual rules of those kind of biopics. Um the band itself it's a bit weird because the band itself it did exist but not this is not the story of that band right. it was a the devils are a very minor band that i've done some internet searching on and they're just a name that was picked it's it, so it, it's a fantasy it, sorry it's not a fan, it's it's a it's a pseudo real film you know it's um so it's talking very much about the time and using this band this pretend band as as a, as a way to show about youth culture in the 70s in south korea um on the downside it's um none of the main people in the band really really jump out at you um there's no really strong stories there's a story about a draft dodger in there that that actually leads to the sort of the final act but it's not that riveting um but on the other hand it's got two things going for it one is um the lead actress in the film is shin min ah who is somebody i used to watch quite a few of her films she's like one of these you know one of these models that's also an actress and also a singer you know we've <laughs> talked about this before um this and again I, I was i was following her career in and around this time i don't know how i missed this film um she's very big in tv as well um very striking young lady and she's fantastic in this basically she plays the part of a of a young girl who's both a both a groupie to the band um but also is the person that lets them step up to the next level by basically becoming their go-go dancer and it kind of creates another sub band the wild girls who who become famous in their own right and she, she she's just marvelous in it and she's definitely a standout but the real standout is is the music and not so much the music that's being played but the performance and the way that the film captures really what it's like to go and watch a band live um so often when you go and watch films like this you don't really buy into the musical performances when it's actors doing it and obviously miming. Um, there, there is one guy who is he's a proper legitimate um, sort of indie, indie guitar guy that's obviously adding a bit of realism to it from the real world. But yeah, it's it's the, the, the musical sequences are really, really well done and it really feels like going to a club or something. Um, but other than Shin Minar's performance... You know, it's a fairly forgettable movie, and I can see why I hadn't watched it for 12 years. But um, there's, there's stuff to enjoy in there, and again, obviously, it appeals to the the history part of me about that time in Korea, and it's a different look. Usually, you see this this time period through the eyes of soldiers or through the eyes of school children, and to see it through the eyes of that slightly older youth, um, youth going through, you know, like like 
like Britain did, I guess, in the swinging 60s, and America might have done at a similar time. South Korea went through it maybe 10 years later. So this was their, this was their, this was the time, you know, where the equivalent of uh, the review I read said it's equivalent of the Kinks being in the swinging 60s London or the equivalent of, of Elvis shaking his pelvis on the Ed Sullivan show. It's that kind of complete change in what young people are listening to so they no longer listen to folk music they listen to american infused rock and roll um which then of course one day will lead us to k-pop and and the, and the tail will eat itself but yeah it's um interesting film um quite w- well made it just lacks that that super performance or that super storyline which would raise it above the adequate great and um also this week i mean well, Adam, today you made your debut over on the Lambcast, which is really exciting because obviously we are now part of the uh, the Lamb Podcasting Network, the Lodge Association Movie Blogs, and their show, the uh, the Lambcast, it sort of brings everyone to together for roundtable discussions of various topics, and um, it's a show I've done numerous times before. We were hoping to to win the vote to do their franchise look back, so we could look at the Vengeance trilogy, but we lost by 3% of the vote to the X-Men saga. So... Yeah. <laughs> it's... Damn. Yeah, so... I mean, watch this space. We are going to do something Vengeance trilogy related. I have a feeling, um, sort of looking ahead, that this may be our seven, episode 75, because we like to do something big for the 25s um, on this show, mainly because most, ep- most shows do, like, the 50 markers, like, they're big big ones but uh the world being what it is we always like to do the 25s uh every 25 do something special and do one the big obviously we got something really important special for our 50th uh so hope maybe we we might be looking at vengeance trilogy for 75 we'll just do the whole thing in uh one big old box set uh binge but um yeah, yeah it's it's a shame really i mean obviously the vengeance trilogy is one of those sagas that sort of just never lost its appeal it's um while some like you look back at some like the Miki moves we got all excited about when they came out you know things like full mode yakuza food of the new generation and even like dead the dead or alive trilogy and they've sort of lost some of their zest uh much like ishii the killer um and something about the vendor trilogy has just never lost a, a step since its release it's only just seemingly become more important the longer that it's been out there so and that's my cat's arguing. But um, how did you um, <laughs> how did you find the Lambcast? Did you have fun? Yeah, and I, I had a lot of fun. It's a very um, the, the, the yeah we 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 talked about mm. films. I tried to stay off brand as long as I could. So I, I bought African Queen to the um, so so Bogart and um, and Turner to the to the to the table. Other people bought other things, um, but I did. Um, I took part in the quiz, and you'll have to listen to it to find out if I won or not. Spoilers. Well done. And <laughs> although I'm not more luck than judgment, and um, and talked about Kingdom because it gave me an opportunity oh, so to rave good about that, that again. That's the third different podcast. But I've, 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 yeah, abso- abso- absolutely. Um, I can't, I can't not. I, I'm a man of the world. Elvis. I know. I um. But I, but I, I like you know as much as I have to pimp both this show and Asian and world cinema in general. I do watch films without subtitles as well. And African Queen had actually been one of my cinema shames. So um, 
I watched it especially for the show so I could uh, knock one of them off. And I've, that, I mean, that's the other thing I've been doing, knocking a few cinema shames off. So I've, I've just finished watching this evening Ready Player One, which I think you might be surprised that I hadn't watched. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you for not watching it. It's a, it's a pretty awful book, and the film is pretty much representative of that. It's sort of... It feels very much sort of like um, when somebody says, oh, I'm like really into like the 80s or 90s, and it's just sort of like, here, look at all these things we've got. It's like one thing after another. It's just it's more of a list than a movie. And um, I, I, I did feel I needed a spotter's guide to go with it. Oh, I've just seen one of the Battletoads. Oh, I, you know, in a, and whereas the story itself was fairly mm. routine, I thought the animation was fairly average. I thought it was entertaining enough. I'm, I quite like Olivia Cook. I think she's quite good. I don't recognise yeah. anybody else in the film, <laughs> um, which I think I think is it's to its detriment. But I do not understand a world set. What is it set like fifty years in the future, whatever it's set in, that would be obsessed with eighties and nineties culture. Surely it would be obsessed with culture all the way up. You know, I, I absolutely. Being a retro guy myself, absolutely get yeah. the love of retro. But why? But but the whole world wouldn't be st- stuck back then, when the the technology was introduced in twenty twenty five. You know that there would be. I don't know. Just didn't make yeah. a lot of sense. But you know there were, there were some. I've only nice seen the film bits. once, and it, it didn't really resonate with myself. I know in the book that the whole eighties obsession is because of the, the creator of this this virtual world that they all live in. Um is really sort of obs- he has like all these like references to um to eighties things in, in the, like his biography and stuff. So that's why they're they're so obsessed with these things because they sort of worship him. It's 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 absolute it's absolutely in the film as well. I just know that you know, people are people are smarter than that, and and subcultures and countercultures form yeah. even within even within uh, idolatry, and um, that's the, that is going to be the most professory <laughs> phrase I've ever used. <laughs> but you know what I mean, and and so that was that was always taking me out of it. Um, the the literally, oh, if I if I, you know, let's do a quiz. Let's, have, let's see who you can spot the I Spy book. Um, do you remember the David Bellamy I Spy books? Um, <laughs> it just it just felt like it, it felt fine, but it was um, you know it was just a film that I maybe thought I should have seen, and now I've seen it yeah. and I can move on. I have an interesting uh, piece of trivia about um, African Queen, though. I don't know if you know it, but um, only Bogart and the director didn't get dysentery during the filming uh, the filming because the pump on the boat that was supposed to be purifying the water hadn't, so it was just basically pumping out whatever's in the lake which according to Bogart was just a lot of hippo shit and they both uh, Bogart and the director were just drinking rum the whole shoot so that's why they didn't get dysentery yeah so so I did know that but I didn't oh, get to bring it up today <laughs> but yeah no fast I mean the reason I love African Queen is I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Humphrey Bogart I mean like I said it's the first time I've seen it quite like Kathleen Turner but I just didn't know about the film you know I didn't know what it was about really I didn't realize it was going to be funny I thought it was going to be like a, a drama and it was like a comedy drama and it was really entertaining but what I really like is Jack Cardiff the cinematographer um, who has has been behind the lenses of many films mostly uh, Michael Powell films that, that I know of um, what's the one set up in the nunnery oh, in the Black Himalayas? Oh. 
Black Narcissus. He's the he's the he's the um, cinematographer of that, and that's just one of my favourite films of all time. So it was just really nice to see his his work in the uh, in the Belgian Congo and in <laughs> Isleworth. Of course. <laughs> but yes, it was. Um, yeah, it was a good watch. It was a good good turn on the podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be back. We'll be back. Something like that. It's um, entertaining. Listen and probably be out fairly soon this week. Possibly before this one's out, which is bizarre, but hey ho. <laughs> yeah, possibly. As for myself, I mean, uh, yes, I'm on lockdown like everyone else, but I'm also on lockdown with my kids, which means I don't get to just like sit around in my underpants watching box sets like a lot of you folks are. And it's. I've, the only thing I've really been watching is I've been watching a lot of Full Metal Alchemist, which has been really great when you go like do the supermarket run, and obviously you've got to hang out in the car with your kids and. It's uh, you can put that on and just give them their pads and just like ignore them for thirty minutes or whatever. And uh, yeah, Full Metal Alchemist is a really accessible anime series. It's uh, currently kind of in vogue, I think, mainly because those uh, hipster nerds over at uh, Wizard and Bruiser recently covered it. So they've got it's had a lot of buzz recently about uh, about that and. The one I'm watching at the moment, I'm watching, actually watching the remake of the original series. So it's uh, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. And um, a lot of people say not to watch the original show and just watch Brotherhoods. But uh, honestly, you can start with either one. But I've just started with Brotherhood because it's on Netflix. Um, the show itself is just a fun, really fun sort of like, a, you know, sort of action fantasy show with um, the power of alchemy being used to sort of very dramatic effects is you've got uh, two brothers who when they were children tried to bring back their mother and obviously anyone who's you know read uh, a monkey's poor story or just read anything wishes knows that uh, you know nothing comes without a cost and uh, the end result being that uh, one of the brothers loses his arm and his leg and the other is uh, basically has his body eviscerated and uh has his soul transplanted into a suit of armor, meaning that uh, he's now constantly refu- um, confused as being the full metal alchemist, despite it being his uh, his brother who is. And you know, it's just a really fun light show. It's got a lot of good action beats to it, and it's not full of a lot of the anime cliches which a lot of people uh, tend to put off appeals. So it's not heavy, and it's not full of a lot of weight and uh, and episodes where nothing really happens. It's I say it's just a very sort of action-packed show and just really accessible and uh, one to put in that same sort of category as you know like Cowboy Bebop or My Hero Academia or even One Piece which uh, recently got unlocked uh, finally for us folks here in the UK so you can now uh, watch it legally over on Crunchyroll um, so that's good after you know just a few months of whining at them every time they advertised it that it's not available to us over in the UK someone finally listened and uh it's now going to be wondering what we should be using our powers for next, really. I mean, we've got the Gamma box set coming out. We've got the One Piece over here now. What's uh, what's the next mountain to climb, really, Stephen? I imagine you're still fighting the good Ultraman oh, yes, fight, aren't you? <laughs> right, so, well, there we go. <laughs> Back to war for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's frustrating, the fact that the, the company handling... The Ultraman Distribution is actually a UK-based company, yet they can't get it together to give us a Region 2 release. It's it's just so frustrating, and it's more frustrating the fact because I would really love a, um, the Ultra Q box set more than anything else. I'm not too fussed about having every series of Ultraman, but just the Ultra Q box set would be really good to have because that's uh, a really great show. 
But um, yeah, other than that, it's not. It's been very difficult to actually get a lot watched. I am in the process of watching at the moment uh, the, the Last Panoi Action King, which is from the same director as the Search of Wang Wang, um, and it uh, it's not only ex- exploration of the action star Rudy Fernandez, but also the Filipino film industry, which is really one of those unexplored areas of you know film history really and the only other documentary I could think of which is sort of touched on the Filipino uh, film industry was Machete Maidens Unleashed which in turn was a follow up to um, Not Quite Hollywood, the documentary on Osploitation Cinema. The Social Wang Wang was an okay movie um, and this one it's a little harder from what I've seen at the moment it's a little harder to recommend because all the footage they've got is just these like really grainy uh filipino action movies which i'm sure appeals to someone but for myself it's very sort of uh i don't get it (laughs) so i'm gonna finish watching that one and uh hopefully have some uh thoughts on that one for the next episode but as of the moment it's just a whole crazy routine of trying to work everything in so it's not a lot of film watching happening for myself at the moment but i'm hoping as you know Everything settles down. I'll be able to get back into my movie watching Groove and be able to watch something other than PE with Joe in the morning. So, yeah, June. There's going to be some point where we, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's going, to, there's going to be some kind of reaction somehow, but I don't know what it is. And what I will say is, I did manage. Um, we recorded a new episode of the In the Only yep. podcast. That the other the other podcasts involved, and we managed in the latest episode to talk about Godzilla for a little bit because a couple of the ladies on there are American, and we were talking about movie, you know movies that um, well I think it was like bad movies that oh, were really? good, and uh, one of them brought up all the Godzilla films. I said, well, I want to be on brand about this. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, so, I'm sorry. I yeah. love the fact that they always like say these so bad that they're good movies, and then they brand Godzilla. And I'm thinking, you know, a, a franchise that's been going on some 60-plus years, an absolute institution of filmmaking, and you dismiss it as just, like, you know, late-night TV fodder. Oh, I don't... Well, being American, obviously, it was Saturday morning I suppose TV so, fodder yeah. for her. Oh, no, no, it, it was it was in a it was in a very positive way. The, the question that was raised is, is, is good, bad movies. Hey, don't worry, I, I, I chose Star Wars. I'm getting, I'm getting even, yeah, I'm getting even more. It's a terrible film. The first, the first one. Every, I... every transition is a swipe to the left. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's just dreadful. I never got to New Hope um, because, as I said, I would, I came up watching like Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. New Hope was never on for whatever reason. So when I finally got to watch New Hope when they did the trilogy on the VHS back in the day and. I was like, I just don't get the appeal of this one at all. I still don't. I yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I I, I mean, I would have been seventy-seven, right? I would have been six when that came out. So I must have seen it on TV. I think it was it was featured quite heavily on TV and from about nineteen eighty onwards um, for, for a little while. Back when that's how long it took for a film to get onto TV. <laughs> Um, I'm sure it was a Christmas movie or something. And I, I always kinda liked it, but now with a critical eye, I mean it's 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 technically mm. the special effects are great, but but the actual filmmaking's pretty poor, the storytelling's pretty poor. Um and you know, my heart's always been with Empire. Because that's a movie with sort of more more depth and guts and 
more shit going down really in it um rather than a sort of saturday morning serial which i know is what they were going for but anyway so yeah so i dissed star wars joan brought up godzilla we're, we're hitting all the <laughs> sacred cows <laughs> words will be had I'm 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 sure I'm going to get kicked out of, kicked out of Nerd Club. So hey, <laughs> it's certainly a a weird old time to be because <laughs> it, it's sort of like you think you know there's things that are supposed to be coming out, but you don't actually know if they are going to be coming out anymore. And... No, and obviously in the West we're having the, the, some of the cinema, some of the studios are. Um, practicing with mm. sort of straight to video much more than they were before um, and yeah well yeah. so I have an opinion on this <laughs> um, I think it's a really interesting experiment I think it could be the way things are yeah. going to go um, depends how it turns out financially but £15 $20 a movie is larceny I understand where they're coming from in that in your household in your household four people mm. will be seeing that film yeah um, but, but in my case as somebody who lives alone I'm not paying 15 quid to watch a uh, 20 quid 15 quid to watch Emma all right because I'd have gone and seen it at the Odeon in Bracknell for four pounds in a couple of weeks time it's um they've got to get that pricing right but as a model for distribution um, I think we'll see what the figures say in about a month's time, won't we? And we'll see how successful that's been. I mean, I did catch The Invisible Man that way. I didn't pay for it, but I I, I had access to it um, via streaming. And, um, yeah, it was fine. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't have the event of going to the cinema. Yeah. Um, nor the event of choosing something. I don't know. It felt a bit forced upon me. Um but we'll, we shall see. I'm very curious to see how this goes now. I mean, now we've obviously opened the door. Do you think it's going to be a door that we're going to be able to close again? Because as I said, you're very much giving people for many years they've have felt it's going to be the way because nobody really goes to the cinema anymore. They're more than happy to stay at home and stream things because they've all got the big TV. And, you know, they don't have to go out and pay for gas and parking and snacks and then have to have some fat guy sit in front of the front so you can only see part of the screen and now you obviously get to cut out a lot of that at home and and, and what they're obviously i know what you, with the pricing structure though they're obviously saying where well, you would spend that much if you were to go out um to the cinema and i agree with yourself Stephen. it's it's really high um and i have seen some of these prices drop down to around the 9.99 mark which is just a little more than you pay at the cinema so yeah, but what what we also have to remember is that price at the cinema isn't all going to Universal Studios or Warner Brothers. A fraction of it is, you know, the the cinema obviously is existing on the on the concessions. Mm. Yeah, but 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 it's not, you know, your I don't know how much how much is a cinema ticket these days about twelve quid something like that <laughs> for for a, for a recent release single person obviously when we go with our families mate i know it costs near a 50 but don't um, do, i don't but, you know, some, uh, do that thing at all i mean i don't don't like to desecrate my sacred places by taking the kids there that's the yeah. school's job but 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 i but but i've done that you know and I, so my two daughters are 
Oh, how old are they? I forget. I was there. Was like one's twenty because she was born in the year two thousand, so that's easy to work out. And the other one's two years younger, eighteen. So um, now, if the three of us go as 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 a as a as a daddy daughter day out, it's 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 fifty quid, and we really have to think long and hard. So seeing something for nine pounds together would be would be better. On the other hand, um, there is something nice about going out and going to the cinema. Um, which is something which has come back in recent times. Although the multiplexes are... uh, I've got some issues with them. They're not quite like going to the cinema of our youth where it really was a special, magical time and it's a little more anodyne now. two jam jars and have changed to get the bus home, I know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But but one of the things that one of the people I was talking about this was actually what they think we're going to see is a maybe once this is all over actually cinemas will actually see a a, a short-term boost in popularity because people will want to get out <laughs> and go out and do things um and joan one of them in particular from the west coast she was saying there's been a big increase in driving um movie you know pop-up driving theaters where people are setting up big projections in places and people are driving there and staying in their cars and, and watching films so there could be some uh some revival of that although i suspect that'll just last as long as this crisis lasts so in america by easter sunday can they, the st- rest can of they actually do drive-ins the because the year. as far as i know you're not allowed to go anywhere unless you're going to the the supermarket and so in the in the states it's um it's different hmm. state by state county by county um obviously people in california who live in their cars i believe are have been able to do such thing. Washington State, actually, I think, is where this was. Um, but yes, obviously, it'll all, it'll all get locked down yeah. eventually. But uh, it's it's just it's just you know people finding different ways to consume media, I guess. I have to also ask, seeing like all these celebrities moaning about being trapped in their mansions and whatnot. When did J Lo move into the Parasite House? <laughs> isn't her, isn't her boyfriend? Isn't she married to J Rod? I don't know. Do, yeah. I, do I look like the sort of person who follows popular culture? No, no. She's married. She's like he's like one of the biggest baseball stars of all time. Okay. Um, um, so the pair of them are not missing any money, and they would exactly be the sort of people that live in the parasite house. Because <laughs> um, I, I see like the little bits and pieces that pop up of people being angry at celebrities complaining all the time, like like crybaby Sam Smith. Who um, it has to be said that he's like wind on about being trapped in his house, and then he got caught going to Starbucks three times. So, and and your your uh, your, your your false equivalency of Sam Smith and J Lo is is quite shocking and very parochial, very British. I I, I salute you, sir. <laughs> I just uh, I just I just go off what I'm because I get the off of like the filter because my wife was all the like BuzzFeed and whatnot, so I get it all through the filter there. So if you screwed up, then I probably heard about it through her. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, what you've got is you've got a lot of needy people that, you know, actors and actresses and performers are needy people. They need to be seen and um, we're stopping them, aren't we? So, and Instagram is a terrible thing, mm. nearly as bad as Twitter. In fact, I was talking to those some people about we shouldn't just be doing social distancing, we should be doing social media distancing because I think it's making things worse for some people. I think we've run out of things to talk about because we're not going anywhere. It's... Indeed. And how many conversations can you have about the fucking virus? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Who's got it now? Who's not got it? Oh, dear. Yeah. 
it's um it is it is we're, lo we're losing our experiences and our whole world is going to be i mean what what worries me longer term is if everyone is watching the news and everyone is in their own particular news bubble we're going to become a world which is even more polarized and split down the middle yeah um and i, I really wish certainly in this country um people like the bbc and itv actually stopped reporting all this dark news and actually made a conscious effort to entertain the country and take our minds off it rather than rub our noses in it but yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to think of how you make the news lighter what you put the weather go in a tube top or make sure there's a car chase in every <laughs> every, uh, bro every broadcast or something yeah, but maybe you just choose other stories, or you, or you, or you make the news shorter. Um, it's, it's it's your CNNs and your Fox News and things like that, which are which are, which are the really bad ones, yeah. which are literally everything's about the freaking virus. Well, and 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 we know, but we'd also know if you told us five minutes an hour rather than seventy minutes an hour, which is what it feels like at the moment. Well, you know the good solution for that, and that would be to you know adopt some podcasts. And we're lucky that we belong to one of the largest associations of movie blogs and podcasts, the Lamb Association, of, also known as the Larger Association of Movie Blogs, where there's over a thousand member blogs and podcasts. So now's a really good time to be diving in and discovering new podcasts. I mean, on our network within a network here on uh, that we put out for the Brain Super Jackson, I mean, Stephen, you've got your Guila Ramblin side project happening. Uh, we've obviously got, uh, if you want to listen to Myself and Lackey talk about cool TV. We got TV Good Sleep Bad. You can we talk about video games. So from Game Warp, we're breaking down director filmography. So from movies and tea, and uh, yeah, obviously you've got our whole back catalogue at the uh, Asian Cinema Film Club .com. So now's a really good time to be getting out there and supporting indie podcasts, definitely. And uh, you'll probably find that the indie guys are going to be the ones still putting out content, like in week in week out. Well, the big boys who like uh, saturate the market will mysteriously be lacking in contact because they can't cope not being in posh studios and they uh, haven't got that sort of coffee table mentality of production that uh, the indie podcasts have and you know I've for myself I've been out there I've been like trying to uh, get in some real back catalogs be it uh, we've got like verbal diorama I've been listening to simplistic reviews have been really good as well uh, I've been doing some archive stuff of uh, kissing contests as well so this is a world for great podcasts out there and you can just really if you just instead of worrying about what's in the news and just like discover some new podcasts you know support some uh, adopt a few new podcasts and uh, you know that's a great way to sort of pass the time, especially in these uh, these times where n nobody has any answers for anything. Uh, you can at least have some uh, listen to some great discussion on on uh, movies and uh, TV. I couldn't agree more, and not just movie podcasts, but there's podcasts about all sorts of things and explore a little um, because there's some fantastic stuff out there for, for all kinds of interests. But obviously, ours is the best. <laughs> Of course. We're going to take a quick break now. Uh, when we return, though, we're going to be talking our feature presentation for this evening, A Touch of Sin. In a world where podcasts already seem to address every imaginable subject, one man broke new ground with a seemingly random obsession about exploding helicopters in movies. He was a podcaster on the edge. A maverick broadcaster who played by his own rules. Now, he has a last chance to talk about the strange way helicopters explode in film. 
exploding helicopter. Available on iTunes and Podomatic now. Think you know about chopper fireballs? Think again. Released in 2013, Zhe Zhang K's Touches Sin sees the director returning with a quadology of short stories examining rapidly changing China as the line between the haves and the have-nots are met with often bloody results. Here we follow a group of a series of uh, characters, each of them in a variety of different roles, encountering often corporate corruption or interference from those of particular higher financial station than themselves. As I said, the end results often being surprisingly bloody, especially for a film so beautifully shot, conjuring back memories of the Vengeance trilogy from Park Chan-wook. Um, Stephen, this was obviously a film that you brought to the table. It was one that was on my wish list, uh, mainly because it turned up on David Eric's um, best mo- best movies of uh, movies of the year, and he's uh, as I said, he tends to like go towards a lot of uh, the sort of art house and sort of highbrow sort of cinema with his picks, and there was just something about the footage that he used in his countdown of the year that just really appealed to myself in this film and going into the film pretty much blind with this one I was actually pretty surprised at the story and certainly the the way the film turned out um it was quite unlike anything that was uh, perhaps expecting going into it yeah so I mean I, I'd never seen this before I'd picked it up on blu-ray a few years ago um possibly on a recommendation i mean i i am not as knowledgeable as i might say not about anything but i'm not very knowledgeable about mainland chinese cinema at all it's a handful of films handful of directors um obviously the lines get a bit blurry when we talk about hong kong cinema and taiwanese cinema where some of these directors and actors have come from but on the whole i really don't know about it and it was a suggestion a few months ago in the facebook group i want to say from is it rishma um one of our regular is that her name yes i believe so it, it, is, it sounds yeah, like yeah. something which she would recommend because normally when we put it out there for recommendations she tends to come with with a lot of uh sort of the more sort of highbrow cinema and she certainly when we posted our branded to go episode she gave us a really great breakdown on the uh, facebook page uh there of her thoughts on it which i keep forgetting to bring up and thank her for because it was uh it really helped especially when you're looking at films as abstract as branded to kill to have uh, someone really be so in tune with uh, what the director was going for with that film it's uh really sort of helpful in a lot of the gaps of things that we perhaps hadn't covered on that uh episode but no um i believe this was you don't, one of you, don't conditions. you don't mean branded to kill do you because we haven't done that yet. Sorry. <laughs> um, you, you mean that other film by um, Tokyo Drifter, don't yes, you? Yes, Tokyo Drifter. <laughs> for, some, yeah, for some reason, I had uh, Brandon to come my head. I think it's just because they're both such art, uh, yeah. arty sort of Yakuza movies. So. Well, yes. same, same, same director, isn't it? Yeah. So that makes sense. Anyway, yes, I remember she came up and asked us, are, are we going to look at any of the, sort of the fifth and sixth generation? So, so 
in in Chinese cinema, like everything in China, there's numbers and names. It's the four, it's the four leading actresses, the four leading men, the four first generation, the sixth generation. I don't know if there is a third generation being three, such an unlucky number. But anyway, she talked about the fifth and sixth generations, which was a bunch of directors I really don't know about. So yes, I do know about the the sort of the new wave directors of Taiwan, and I do know about various directors in Hong Kong, both old and new. Um, but I really don't know about this. Um, I will in my uh, just jumping ahead into the future in my other picks, I'll pick a fifth generation director, which I do know about and probably know more about them. But I really don't know about this sort of these new, modern, younger Chinese directors who have grown up in the communist um, Chinese society, but have a freedom to maybe criticize society a little bit more than maybe their forebears did, or they could do it certainly less obliquely um jia Zhangke was a guy that that she brought up and i just thought oh yeah that that's perfect because i know i know that it was on your to watch list we'd, we'd, we'd sort of vaguely talked around it before um so i really wanted to see it um and i was quite shocked at how critical it was of of china I mean, there's no bones about it, right? <laughs> it's it's very critical, and and not just in the in the in the odd oblique metaphor, and how violent it was, um, and and e- and even not not just the violence, but some of sort of the the visual nature of how some of that violence was um, shown, certainly in the first sequence, in the in the first storyline, um, it's as you say, it's it's sort of four stories ripped from the headlines, which maybe I can talk about later, um, that are kind of melded together. They're sort of characters that appear in other people's stories that sort of link all these together to basically China. China lends on the modern post-communist China, shall we call it, a China where people can make money, um, a China where there are the haves and the have-nots and all that kind of thing but it was yeah it was it was visually impressive it was surprisingly self-critical and it was or of china and it was way more violent than i was expecting yeah um the, the violence in this film is absolutely stunning and this is again why it brings back to mind the vengeance strategy because there's the only part chen wu can make that so I thought could make violence look as beautiful as it does in film and certainly uh, with this film and, and especially in the first uh, story that we see uh, which follows uh, Dehe played by Zheng Wu who is a mine manager who decides to take revenge on the corrupt village chief who's been basically embezzling uh, the the work, the mine workers and uh, Profiteering off it as he sort of swans around in his BMW and his private jet and these villagers are basically living in poverty. And uh, he reaches, he basically reaches his breaking point and decides to go and take matters into his own hand after uh, one of his bosses tries to discipline him by beating him in the head with a, with a shovel. Um, which itself is a really... I wasn't sure this was like intentionally funny or not, but in this first story, we constantly have people with very small weapons. Like we see the hatchet men at the beginning who got really small hatchets, and then when he's been beaten up with the shovel, it's a really small shovel that he's been beaten up with. And I wasn't sure this was an intentional sort of joke or not, uh, but well, just the way it happened to be shot. But it just seemed kind of comical that everyone in this first story had 
like very small weapons for no apparent reason whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't noticed that, but I'm sure that's going on because this is a film. Again, I don't know. I don't know any other of this this director's films. Uh, I recognise some of the names, but they're not films I've seen or watched. Mm. But it, it, everything is. He's one of those directors who's clearly everything is very. Del- I mean, all directors, even even the worst director, is 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 deliberately doing things. But there's a there's a scene quite early on where there's a big statue of Mao. Now, say Sung in the in the middle of the village, sort of at the, the crossroads in the middle of the, yeah. of the of this coal mining town, and then a little van comes along with a with a big um, painting, and they're trying to say where 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 where's this where's this address? We want to deliver it. Obviously, the the van turns around. You see the paintings of Jesus, and so you see this 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 absolute dichotomy. We've got we've got this godless society by by definition, this communist society with the great leader, the idol there with his big bronze statue and they're trying to deliver the uh, an iconography of, of christianity so i would suggest that those tiny weapons are probably absolutely important and the fact that his big shotguns are you know it's big and it's and it's obviously um thematically tied to tigers you know that like the, the angrier he gets you keep going to that picture of the tiger which he ends up wrapping around his shotgun until just when he snaps the tiger roars you know there's there's a little there's a lot of symbolism going on in this film um later on did you notice in the in the third story the young lady she sort of suddenly takes a pose of a uh, female wuxia character yes. <laughs> with her with her pony but the, the, the whole styling of it is and of course the, the the name of the film certainly the english name touch of a touch of sin is 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 riffing on a touch of zen isn't it um the, the king who film so yeah i i think you're absolutely right that is absolutely a deliberate decision i just don't understand what it means <laughs> this first story it could have been a film on its own i was really sort of uh was really gripped by the story and I thought it was really great and it's again it's also really helped by this sort of central performance that we um that we have uh here from uh Jiang Wu who's he's kind of like this everyman sort of character he's like constantly talking about you know he wants things to change he wants to He's trying to get a report up to the head office to basically let them know what's happening, but everyone in the village has sort of been who could sort of like assist in changing it and has basically been got to by this um, corrupt village chief who's basically bought off uh, the police. He's bought off, seemingly bought off the post office as well as they refuse to send the letter of complaint off that he wants to send. And the fact that he reaches a point where he basically confronts his boss and says you know i want money um and time off so i can go to the head office to complain about you it's just really just sort of like the, the just a really fascinating sort of sequence because at the same time you've they've rounded up all the workers to put on this sort of like fake welcome home party uh for him and he sort of like what comes in his private jet and he's there with his uh attractive wife and living this completely different life than these poor miners are, are being forced to live as they're living in as we said already they're living in pretty much squalor and just the fact he's this one guy trying to stand up and when he realizes that you know that going about this the traditional way is not going to get the results that we then sort of turn into this acts of bloody violence and it's really 
quite shocking that first you know the first time he uses the uh, shotgun and blows uh turn... blows the, the accountant's head doesn't he <laughs> Blows the side of his head off. It's like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've seen anything like that outside of like I don't know a Scorsese or a Tarantino film. No, yeah, it's it's very (laughs) unusual for an Asian film to go that extreme. Even like we think of like you know the real bad boys of Asian cinema, like the Sion Sonos and Takashi Mikes. I don't think any of them would produce an exploding head as good as as that. This is like a real Cronenberg standard exploding really, head we get here. It really is. And um and then, then that sort of that opens up in this go it goes on a well, a very mild mannered rampage. Just knocking people off and shooting them very violently. Even to the point there's there's a guy earlier in the film you see whipping this horse. Yeah, and it's quite disturbing, isn't it? As a, as you know, as 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 a as a Western person, that, that that this this horse is being whipped, and you do worry it's really being whipped, and and uh, and that's one of the people that's really been getting on this guy's coat. So he just <laughs> shoots shoots the owner and lets the horse go free. And I'm sure again, there's a metaphor there about that horse being free and going off on its own. But this so our lead character, he's he's you know he's he's been raised in the communist system, and the communist system's power is. All on reporting up misdeeds, and you know you you have you you'd have a weekly meeting or or someone in your um, apartment block that would be at the party official that you would basically snitch on, and that whole world has disappeared. He's been a good little communist all his life, mm. and now all those all those um, social structures which had enabled that life to exist have disappeared as you say basically money has bought everyone off it's bought off the post office it's bought off um it it, it, it it's bought off everybody in the village he, he can't he can't oh, in the town i keep calling it a village but i think i think it's meant to be a town even his sister oh no it's not his, i thought it was his sister to start with but it's it's a lover of his isn't it or an ex-lover that he goes to visit even she's saying look just stop with this mm-hmm. you're still young open a shop find yourself a woman get married this is how the world is now, and uh, so, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I absolutely thought, I thought this first sort, of, this first segment was easily the best, uh, one of the two better ones, um, and it could have absolutely been a film on its own. We could have slow burnt our way through this, and if this had been the conclusion after an hour and a half, I would have been very happy with that as well. The only thing I will say is, don't really know where it went. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> and I need another five minutes in this world to find out what happened to it. Yeah. And of course, it is based on a real incident. Um, a fella called Hu Wenhei did exactly this for exactly this reason. So of all the stories that it's been ripped from the headlines about, my understanding is this is, this is the most um, sort of straight adaptation of, of reality. Yes, he went on a, a rampage, uh, thirteen, taking up 13 people. He considered his personal enemies with both a hunting rifle and axe. This happened in October 26, 2001. Um, he wasn't just him. It was uh, him and his friend um, who carried out this rampage, and the local court sentenced them both to death. And you t- mentioned already about the, the, sort of the last person he kills here which is the guy who's seen constantly whipping his horse i love how the w- horse gives him a little bow uh after he after he shoots his uh former owner which i thought was a really is, nice touch there is there is like it's a little sort of like thank you 
yeah just, just a, a little respect to you and um yeah th- th- i thought this first thing was was excellent and i thought oh because I, I you know i was worried about this right I, I chose it for reasons but i did expect this to be another terrorizers and i thought <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna like this but i'm not so sure about elwood um and then that first thing I thought, you know, I think I think I was going to get kick out of this once he's seen a house, a head blown up like a watermelon. <laughs> you say that, but I mean, the story is it's going just like, you know, this this one honest guy trying to fight for the rights, just do the right thing. That mm. in itself is, is an engrossing story and how that was Absolutely. unfolding. And I forget that it's actually just one story of the four that we're going to see. Mm. And then we have this the first this moment of violence where he 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 shoots the first guy, and it's like so out of nowhere it just like takes you completely by surprise because you think and the fact he's like saying it's like you're not going to shoot me and then he just goes and shoots him. It's this you don't expect it. It plays completely against expectations, especially for a film as beautifully shot as this film is. Um, this is from the director of cinematographer here is uh you like and here we get wonderful like we get these lovely panoramas and just everything's so beautifully shot and i think it only makes it sort of adds to the violence in a way the fact that we have these the violence being shot as beautifully as the landscapes and the actual dra- drama here within the film and there's a scene where he shoots his his boss in in the car and you see like the blood oozing down the car seat and this like smirk on his face and even like the throwaway lines where it's like oh where are you going with your rifle and he's like oh i'm hunting animals and you think oh god that's such a badass line and it just as i said it was just the strength of this this story i think it sort of puts the rest of the film at a kind of a disadvantage because it sets the bar so high that i think it sort of struggles to to match it again and especially when we get into our next story here where we've got um one of the characters we see in this little first story he goes he has his own sort of plot line where he's sort of like learning the power of having a gun and it sort of felt like a real sort of step down in quality um compared to this first story yeah because obviously the this is the character I yes. who we meet first isn't it so we, we meet we meet him first riding his moped and then he encounters our our, our, our protagonist from that from the first section after after he shot three guys who've tried to rob him and then he sort of rides off into the distance you don't know you're going to find him again and yeah we we meet this guy and he, he's going home for his parents funeral i think he's obviously been away traveling um He's got a wife who doesn't, or girlfriend, or wife doesn't want him around. He's got a kid who doesn't really recognise him, and then it turns out he's, yeah, he's he's been sort of drifting around doing things, but he's been robbing banks, hasn't he, the whole time? <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, what, what, what? Where did that come from? And uh, and then we have another rampage, and that just didn't that just didn't work for me in quite the that that seems an incredibly what's the word uh, incredibly inefficient way of performing robberies 
on street <laughs> on street shootings. I don't know. It just seems like the uh, the benefit the cost benefit analysis of that is 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 weird. And I just was not as engaged by this story as I was by the first. Yeah, because I mean, as we were talking about off air before we came on the episode here, there was. I was like, you know, there's certain parts of this film I'm going to need some help explaining, and this was certainly one of them because it felt very nothing. It was sort of like, it felt like it was building up to something, and again, this is again, this is a problem when you have such a high impactful first story, and then we start again on the second one. It felt like it felt almost like you've you've watched one film and now you're starting another film the way that this second story is structured because mm. it's starts off again very slow and it's spending a lot of time building up its character and going into the background of this this character and i mean again this is based on another real event um the chinese gunman uh zhu ki um Kahua, i hope i'm pronouncing that correct um who was a chinese gunman and he was a suspected murder and robbery and they're supposed to be believed to be involved in at least nine murder and robbery cases um, making him sort of like a one of the most wanted criminals by the Ministry of Public Security. So th- for such a high-profile criminal, I felt that this story was kind of an injustice, really, and perhaps if it had been expanded out into its own sort of story, you know, sort of like a sort of criminal biopic sort of thing, maybe it probably would have worked a bit better than trying to do it as this almost snapshot of this, this character. Um, so I was kind of glad when it was over yeah I, I i didn't enjoy it as much because because even though there seemed to be a lot of character work going on um with the, with the family with the wife with the kid all these things it all boiled down to i like shooting <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <coughs> i think he li- literally says that doesn't he to his wife in bed one night and um and especially as we'd been somewhat sympathetic to him in the first shooting that we saw you know, he was about to get beaten within an inch of his life for a few one. And although you can't really go around shooting people, I'm not advocating that as a as a behaviour. But it, it, yeah, I, I I just didn't connect with him in his story. Although I, I felt there was another story here that could have been dug into, and maybe the format of the film, the the sort of this 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 uh, what was a, what would be a, a, a quad. Cob tech or something i don't know what we'd call it the the, the four stories may, this may have been the one that just didn't fit quite as well to me um but if it had been given more time and fleshed out on its own it could have been more interesting and and equally as bloody definitely um on to the third story here uh this again is uh, like all the stories is based on a true event uh in this one it was the uh uh Zhao um incident <laughs> Uh, which occurred on the 10th of May 2019, uh, sorry, 2009 at a hotel in Badong County in, in Hubei province. And this is something we haven't touched on already, but with this film, we're switching between provinces in China. There's four um, provinces that we go back and forth between over the course of the film. So it's really given a complete vision of of China really in these sort of changing times we were not only in the city we're also out in the in the sort of sticks um, which I thought was a really interesting approach to the story um, rather than just having uh, four tales of the city absolutely and, and we travel don't we we, we travel you know I talked about the first guy being on the moped tr- tr- 
and 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 so he travels through this the little town of the first film he gets on a boat and he goes on the boat and ends up in a in a in a bigger conurbation and now we're in a in what feels like a major city but there's a is, a, is it planes or trains the, the girl's boyfriend goes on but he's going to travel you know we are traveling across china and the whole point is is that there's this there's this there's this destruction of society this increased level of violence um incidents that are happening and it's not just happening out in the sticks it's not just happening out in in the big cities it's happening all over and it's becoming endemic in chinese society but the, but the but travel is very much a motif for that the characters travel between these places to show maybe spreading dare i say spreading like a virus i don't know but um it's it's definitely definitely something that the filmmaker is is bringing to it here. Um, uh, yeah, so you haven't really explained this bit of the story, have you? <laughs> I was going to no, I was going to um, go off I was going to go off on one now, saying the bit of the problem I was going to have with it, but I'll let you explain the, this uh, bit of the story first. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, this third story it follows a younger who works in a uh, sauna or massage parlor, and uh, she's working there as a, a hostess and one evening uh, a particularly rich client decides that he's going to try and buy her attention um, and uh, basically doesn't take well to having his advances re- re- rebutted by her and leads to a very almost a very sort of disturbing act of uh, violence where he's essentially like beating her with this money he's offering her and saying you know you should want me you should uh you should do what i want because i have money and and she's like no i'm not a masseuse i'm just i just work work here i'm part of the staff it's not my job to entertain you and your friends and it's the only time i've come close to seeing something that made me so sort of uncomfortable this sort of like level of um tensile violence is when i was watching like gregoraki's mystery skin and there's just some i mean man of one violence is disturbing at the best of times especially when it's as unbalanced as it is here uh so to see this young girl just being basically you know slapped continuously um, across the face and it's a scene that goes on a lot longer than i think anything in the west would certainly dare push it to as it's a good two three minutes of watching this this uh, young girl being slapped across the face with money where this guy just um abuse her before you she understandably snaps and stabs him to death um now as i said this is based on a, a true story and um the actual true case or a huge sort of outcry from the from, from the public who wanted a case overturned and the chinese authorities were sort of like based to try and play down uh the incident and even did a lot of web censoring to stop it being the stop the story getting out there as um as much as possible really but um this one i mean this one we obviously mentioned already about the fact that the film takes its title from a very sort of prominent uh wuxia movie and i think this is as wuxia as the film actually gets even down to like the musical cues here her stance as she's whirled in the dagger and we get a ponytail, just 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 every everything about the visuals there in that in that moment is very much like a, you know, a, 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 a wusha a wusha heroine taking her stance against uh, against the corruption of the Jiang Hu. Yeah, that's if we take it to its its fullest extent. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, she 
the 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 actress is actually married to the director as well. Mm. Um, so I really wanted to know how that conversation went when he was explaining the part to her. Yeah. So so what I what I what's interesting about the real life stories is this is an example of um, when we've when we've spoken about some Hong Kong films and certainly some South Koreans before. You know, we've used I, I've certainly used the phrase the netizens, the, the 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 chattering voice of the internet public, which of course is a bit different in in China behind the Great Firewall because things are absolutely censored. And words get taken away that you just can't use and won't appear in. So even though they've got Weibo and Tencent and all these other things that uh, that absolutely exist, the you know, the internet absolutely exists, and 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 all the same social media kind of things exist, they're just different. Um, this was a story which became a core celeb for the for the internet community. And as you say, you know, even though there was um, some censorship of it, she 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 became quite a a heroine of women in china um and i don't think this film really plays up that aspect of it except right at the end when we meet her again where um it's all at the end where she's trying to get a job so it happens after the next sequence yeah. which is a bit weird <laughs> and um and she, and obviously you think that they've twigged who she is and it's going to count against her in getting a new job because she basically says she's just turned to, she's come to this new province for a new challenge but the woman interviewing her knows exactly who she is and basically says, is your past going to cause you a problem? No, that's all right then. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and so, so you, you see that, that, that actually her, her infamy has become uh, something to be celebrated, that she's made a stand against this, you know, these horrible, filthy men. Because um, in the real world, she was just a pedicurist, wasn't she? She wasn't even a... She, she wasn't a prostitute or a masseuse or anything like that. She was literally, you know, it was it was a health spa and she was there to do people's nails. Um, um, and I, I, I kind of enjoyed this, but I just wish in the film it had taken a little bit more of that side of things as well. Um, I'll, in, in my in my sort of suggested other watching, I'll, I'll I'll take that a bit further, actually. But I, I enjoyed this this segment, but it does extend past the the rest of the film. So um, we just have to have to remember that. Yeah, and I have to really pick up as well what you were saying about the fact that we come back to her character at the end of the film, and it kind of, in many ways, brings all the stories together because we also see the um, we see the the manager and his wife uh i've seen a photograph that was we saw being taken at, at the airport in the first story so in many ways it brings everything sort of full circle and while i was expecting in many ways especially after we see we, we see the government in the second story appear in our first story i thought that all these stories were going to be interlinked in a more sort of prominent way that we would see like one character would the, the the camera would sort of like fo switch focus from one character to the next and then we would follow that character through but instead it's very much sort of we end one story and then we go on to the next story uh, which is a very unusual way to do it especially when you're not going to break it up and have like title cards to sort of distinguish that okay we're on a yeah. different story now yeah the, the story the stories kind of merge into each other and, and but the connections are tangential aren't they so one character will will appear in somebody else's it do you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of 
Chunking Express. Yes. Where there is a moment in Chunking Express where you see Fei Wong's character by the big bear. At, whilst you're you're still in the in the Bridget Lin Takashi Kaneshiro story, and it's that just I know there's the obviously there's the same location in terms of the um, Chunking Noodles place, but um, but there's just there's little, there's little things where people just happen to appear in photographs or briefly or or, or even mentioned. I think I think in the fourth story mentioned some stuff which is going on in the other stories through the newspaper or through the or for a website or something. <clears throat> So it's, it's it's not always clear. So you wouldn't actually know when you went to see the film. It wouldn't be clear. You're seeing four discrete stories here, like you said. There's no intertitles. There's um, but 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 everything is still quite tangential, quite elliptical in terms of the, of how they're um connected together. Which I guess is the point. Now on to our final uh, story here. I mean, this is, follows uh, Xiao Hu, played by Lo Lanshan who's a young man basically trying to find his way in the world. And he's introduced initially, he's working at a clothing factory, and he is shown talking to one of his fellow co-workers who manages to cut his own hand with the machine, giving us our first glimpse of uh, violence pretty early on in this story, especially compared to the others who whose final note, uh, whose big sort of payoff is the moment of violence, whereas with this story, we get the violence straight off at the beginning. And he's basically finds out that he's going to have to pay for this worker's medical expenses and missed salary. So he's basically going to have to go, I think it's a month, he says, without pay. And uh, doing, being the responsible chap he is, decides that, you know, he's just going to skip town and go and get a job somewhere else. Which he does, working as a club, uh, working in a high-end men's club as an attendant. Where, he's, where he also meets the young Jose uh, Sang Peng Noon, here played by Li Meng, who's uh, also from the same area of uh, Shanghai. And um, I have to say that with this story, we get some of the most uh, interesting visuals of the film, should we mm. say? I mean, especially after the sedate, more sedate visuals of the second and third story. I mean, obviously, the third story, we got the sort of the blood soaked vigilante imagery in there. We've got the the snake woman, which I still no idea what that's about. Um, and we also get that really ropey looking CGI snake, which was just a horrible, horrible misstep for the film. Mm. Agreed. Um, and I mean, do you know what the snake woman is about? Or I, this is one of the things I wasn't sure if I was just being really dumb. And okay, <sighs> what was going on I here? Can, no, I can only assume the snake means something. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a, it's a well known. It, you know, the same way I guess we might see a snake as a slippery character, as a, as as a Garden of Eden kind of thing. You know, I, I'm sure snake means something similar in um, in in Chinese metaphor dictionaries, <laughs> um, or liter- you know, as as a literary device, as a literary shortcut or something. And you know, the same way that you know the the, the tiger roared when and in the first sequence and that the touches their music turns up in the um in the third sequence i'm sure it's something like that that would mean something to others but i'm afraid sir the professor's let you down here so but yeah he's working in this uh this this gentleman's club which seems to specialize in just really elaborate fantasies of its clientele as we see these younger female hostesses being marched out like a little like a mobile uh 
infantry unit. They're all uh, there in their uniforms and it. <laughs> I don't know what else to really say about that. It was it was a very entertaining sequence. Um, and later on, we also see we see her, her entertaining one of uh, the clientele on what seems to be um, this mock train setup that they've uh, they, that they've set up for him. So. And he also seems to be have her dressed up as a nurse as well at one point as well. So, but this is kind of uh, rather than the other ones which sort of focus sort of purely on revenge. Uh, this one seems to focus more just on uh, kind of like a youthful romance angle, which is kind of uh, a ref- sort of a kind of a planet cleanser, especially after the three stories that we've seen previous to this. Um, even though that we know that just following the sort of template that's been set up with those first three films, uh, first three stories, should I say, uh, that we know that perhaps it's not going to end as happily as we would perhaps like it to. Yeah, I... I, I struggled a bit with this one. Okay. <laughs> because... because I, abso- so I absolutely see what you mean. The, the things going on in this... In this um, what is it? A brothel? I'd say it's more a gentleman's club because nobody. Yeah. It's hard to say if if any sort of sexual folks are being being treated. It seems more like mild titillation that's happening here. It 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 does. Yes, it's more like a more like a lap dancing club, but in Chinese style. And so, but everything that they're doing is kind of poking fun at China. And and you know all those girls in the, like, the red guard outfits and stuff like isn't it? <laughs> that, you know this is this this could be you know twenty years ago this film could not be made right whatever it was meaning <laughs> it's, it's the very very suggestion of something like that would be um, would be a no no and what that then leads me to concede is is that shit like this is going down in in Beijing and in Shanghai and in the big cities all the time. If, if you know where to find it and again it's an example of this sort of corruption of what's going on um in in, in chinese society what i will say is this um i think it was this segment has the most horrible bit of violence in it although it is the least graphic but most graphic when that person's just pushed out the top of the building <laughs> from out of nowhere you know, the, 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 he's going to get beaten up by a gang and he's, oh, no, he's going to get beaten up. But no, they just chuck him out a window and you just see this body fall like three flights and goes <laughs> like that. And and, and that I, I just found that more shocking than seeing a head blown up like a watermelon because I didn't see it coming. I didn't see that 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 simplistic finality happen. Um, so yeah, this is probably the I, I didn't connect with it that much, but it was probably the thing that made me feel the most. Okay, um, this one surprisingly isn't actually based on any sort of vigilantes or rampages, but instead it was based on the Foxconn suicides, um, which will link to the low pay at Foxconn City, an industrial park in Shenzhen, China, and. There was a spate of around 12 of these uh, suicides, which led to a, a real investigation on what was uh, actually happening, and especially in the practices that were happening at the factory and with their workers that had obviously caused them to to, to, to commit suicide here. So, 
Yeah, so gosh, I mean, I, I didn't quite. I, I saw that on the, on the Wikipedia, and I'm thinking, I'm not really tying this this story particularly into that. But obviously, that was um, so. Shenzhen is is a special special zone in in mainland China. Um, it's what connects to Hong Kong, or certainly to the um, Kowloon side of Hong Kong in the mainland, and it's where pretty much all your um, electronics comes from <laughs> that you use in the world so uh, I'm almost certain that's where Apple products are probably um, uh, either put together or the components are made and other, other big companies will use things in uh, use companies in Shenzhen and that's why they're so cheap because these people are being worked 20 hours a day and uh, so I saw a very I was watching do you know Romesh Ragnar 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 Nathan yes is that his name yeah. the, the comedian so the British British of Sri Lankan origin and um, he, he was I saw him telling a joke where um, he'd bought his son some kind of remote control car and his son's like 11 years old and he couldn't drive it properly so I'm really disappointed in you you can't drive that remote control car kid your age built it and, <laughs> and, and so that's what's happening in Shenzhen is there's lots and lots of sort of young 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 child female labor as well that's getting paid fuck all and yeah there was a there was a there was a spate of suicides because these people were under such pressure it wasn't just the workers i think there was some management as well that, that people were killing themselves because of the amount of pressure they were under um so yeah i didn't quite link that with this story although absolutely it's there as a as a as a as a as a, as a story which apparently is influencing this film so I didn't quite get that. Yeah, and again, this is one of those those stories that could be a film within itself. I mean, certainly when you look into mm. like the Foxconn suicides, uh, the fact that they had this huge investigation into it, they the the company actually was having so many people throwing themselves off the building of the workers sort of like accommodation that they actually installed suicide prevention netting they brought in buddhist monks to conduct prayer sessions and asked the employees to sign no suicide pledges they were also required to like sign legally blinding documents guaranteeing that they or the descendants would not sue the company as a result of unexpected death suicide or self-injury which is just insane to think of i mean we both have probably worked in some pretty questionable conditions uh, in our own employment history, but I don't think I've ever been asked to sign a no suicide clause in my uh, contracts at all. So, no, even when I was picking pepper plants in a greenhouse in the middle of summer in my underpants, I never got asked not to kill myself. <laughs> was, was that their policy, or was that yours? <laughs> No, no, it was um, <laughs> so that was legitimately a job. Um, the fact that it was in the middle of summer, um, being in a greenhouse really didn't help. And um, yeah, me and my me and my colleague were so hot, we both stripped down to our underpants to pick these pepper plants. I think we were planting them rather than picking them. Um, I yeah, basically after university, I I wanted to stay where I was. I was in Portsmouth, Portsmouth Uni. I wanted to stay there for the summer before I found out my results. So me and my friend said, "Hey, we'll." We'll just we'll just do some manual labouring jobs, and so every day was a different job. Getting up at four or five in the morning, getting in a white van, getting dropped off at some factory or something <laughs> somewhere, and um, yeah, that for, for six weeks I worked some really tough jobs, and I was lucky. I did it for six weeks, different job every day. Most of the people I work with, that was their job, yeah. yeah? And as, as miserable as that, you know, as as, as the individual jobs were. I was able to go home. I was waiting for my degree to come through. I worked another job where um, 
we were checking the quality you know you know like on an aerosol can there's a little ring that goes around to sort of seal the the the, the spray bit and the and the main pressurized yeah. can i quality check them for four days and to this day i still couldn't tell you what i was looking for because they all look the fucking same to me but the two people i was working with that was their life that was their job that was what was putting food on their table and they took that job very seriously and so so even in our country mate there there are people working jobs you wouldn't believe and working really hard and doing it really well i mean you know I, I laugh about those jobs I did now, but I'm fully aware that's real people's jobs. And that's what these people, you know, this, these people in China, Nike factories in India, all those kinds of things, people are really working hard on really menial jobs and they're doing ridiculous hours for no money at all. Um, actually, yeah, thinking about it now, I can see why this film is, there is there is a mention of all this in, in this film. I've just suddenly all, now I've been uh, ranting about it. But yes, again, this film is 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 showing you the difference like there's people out in the villages who are who are having you know the, the mining village in the first film you know that was a the whole point of communism was that, that was everybody's mine but the, the 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 change in policy um when people could start owning this and so someone's made a lot of money out of it and he's absolutely minted he's got a maserati in a private jet and he's paid everybody off and that's why the guy's upset because hang on a minute that was our mine you were meant to give us all money out of this but only one person's made any money out of it um and and then through to you know the people working in the cities in the in the hostess clubs you know there's still that 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 plexism towards women and in this sequence yes there was absolutely people who were being paid bugger all to to do shitty jobs and um someone somewhere is making money out of this and it's not the chinese people and i think that's possibly the point of the film or one of the points, you know. So it's, bre- it's breeding corruption, it's breeding violence, and um, I'm not entirely sure it's it's harkening back to the good old days of the Cultural Revolution. But uh, I think it's possibly saying that this system is letting us all down. Yeah, certainly so. It's a real sort of horror story in that one, isn't it? It's just the fact that it's just holding up a mirror to society where you've got the top five percent basically. Taking from everybody else and uh, just making sure that the remaining ninety-five percent is just kept as pushed down as possible, and uh, the end result being that it often ends in in uh, the most graphic of ways. Um, this is, I mean, I really I enjoyed this film. I don't think it was the best sort of film to watch in our current climate um, of quarantine and whatnot and perhaps if i watched under different circumstances i'd perhaps appreciate a little bit more but certainly when the film works it works really well it's absolutely stunningly shot and three out of the four stories are very engaging uh even if they're to different mm. extents i mean certainly the strongest moments of the film i found we were within that first and that first story and then with the third and fourth they certainly had their moments as well which uh it certainly made made it a worthwhile film uh, to watch, even if perhaps I'm not rating it as highly as other people are um, out there. So, yeah, and no, I I I I'd have similar feelings to you. I thought it was, I thought three quarters of the film I really really liked the um, the the cinematography in parts was brilliant. Some of the performances were fantastic. 
my issue and and the violence was interesting yeah the 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 issue i had was that the first story was so perfect (laughs) the others couldn't really follow it up so well um and and therefore i end up feeling a little bit disappointed and i just wanted a little bit more closure on that first story maybe but um i was not turned off by it and i didn't think it was particularly art housey yeah, it might have a slightly different pace to films that we might normally watch, but it didn't feel. Although I've I've talked a lot about the sort of themes and stuff, I don't think that would stop you enjoying it if you just saw it cold. No, well, definitely not. It's a very accessible film, which is something that, you don't, that from the outset you wouldn't think that it was going to be. You thought it would be a lot more slower pace and that just um, mm. would be a lot more thoughtful. But here it shows much like Pacha and Wook's continuously shown that you can do thoughtful cinema and have extreme violence at the same time and certainly we get that uh, that here with some absolutely gorgeously shot violence that uh, it punctuated through the film as well as just the visuals as there are so many moments that are just so really interesting to look at just the setups that he's working with and the changing locations and the problems that are being faced uh, by these people in these different areas, whether you're working in the city or you're out in the sticks, um, it seems that everyone's problems are the same, and how they choose to ultimately handle this is uh, what sort of makes them all different. So, so further viewing, what would you pair with this one? All right, so the one film came to mind. Um, straight away and another film actually came to mind only when we were talking about it so i've got i've got a couple of suggestions um similar time frame 2012 a film by chen cage who is from the fifth um (laughs) fifth generation so so he kind of predates today's director and i'm just trying to remember the films that he's made people will definitely have heard of farewell with concubine uh amongst other films but that that would be that would be you know that that's a big international success uh, won the palm door um this is called caught in the web so it's not a period film or anything like that it's very much set in in modern day china um it's a bit of a ensemble piece but basically there's a woman um played by gao huan huan um who basically is, is a bit rude to an elderly person on a bus this is videoed on somebody's uh cell phone and it goes viral and it changes her life and um the film is really talking about the impact of the internet and of internet culture on on chinese society um not a film i particularly love but i thought it was uh, it would be a good companion piece in terms of the, the story the way the way that chinese culture is is changing and the impact of the internet on it the other film I, I I was reminded of it whilst watching that that first sequence, and certainly when we were talking about it. Um, there's a film noir, but fairly modern, set in the I think turn of the century, nineteen. Yeah, um, it is. It's I think it's set in um, over over between 1999 and 2004. Um, it's called Black Coal Thin Still Ice. Yeah, Am I really? I'm sorry. Do you want? Well, let, well, let me. No, let you carry on. You, if that's your one, you you carry on. But I, I, that that that's what that's the film it was making me think of. I'll let you do the. Uh, I'll let you do the. Uh, 
the ownership of it. Um, yeah, I mean, as I was basically to say is that yeah, Black Hole for Nice is from 2014. The only film that I could think of that sort of came close to this one, where you've obviously got these two cops who are investigating a murder case that, that sunk their careers, and now when these murders start back up, they basically set out in very much like true detective style to try and find out, solve this case once and for all. And I mean, it was a film that won the Gold Bear. Why is it did in particular was black coal thin ice and sort of part of your radar? Because it seems like it's something about the there's something about this film that I just I just just made me instantly think of uh, when I was watching such a sin. I just thought like my mind just went to this one, and obviously like first of all it, went to like Vengeance, but I think then afterwards it was like black coal thin ice. So yeah, so so mine was only when we were talking about it, and I think it's because we were concentrating on that kind of rural. Um, this 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 is set this isn't set in fashion. So a lot of a lot of mainland Chinese films you watch are set in Beijing. They're set in Shanghai. You know they're set in in this this kind of fake capitalist mm. world. I mean I could give you a film as long as a list of films as long as my arm. Modern Chinese films, which are you know romantic comedies and such like, and you'll see them cross over into Hong Kong cinema now. You know these these incredibly attractive people falling in love with other incredibly attractive people. And whilst one of the um, stars of this film, um, Guilin May, is is has been in a lot of those films, she's a lot better than that. And this this sort of tells of a story that's set in industrial China, in in the heartlands. Um, in a unforgiving world, it's, it's a it's a film full of snow and ice, isn't it? It's um, didn't somebody kill with the ice skates? That's, isn't that's part of the operation around day. There's uh, a real link between yeah. skating and in this cold town, which is yeah. Uh, no, you knew one. Yeah, and so 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 that that cold town reminded me of the cold town in the first film, in the first story in our film, yeah, I yeah. suppose, today, and um, just 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 the. Think things that happen in rural China, I probably find a little more interesting than things happen in fake Beijing. Um, I'd much more hear the story of people rather than of the um, the rich classes who, uh, you know, obviously their richness is absolutely predicated on the uh, corruption of their parents or their parents' parents or somebody they know, you know, <laughs> um, which isn't usually very explored in some of these flashier films from Beijing. So, yeah. I, it's, it's funny we both came to that conclusion, and it's, I, I, it wasn't a film I was blown away by, but I think it's got the same kind of feel as certainly the first story in this film. Fantastic. So um, yeah, that was a touch of sin. Um, certainly one of uh, one of our stronger films for this year, and the one that I definitely recommend checking out uh, if you got the chance. You can actually catch it on Amazon Prime. It's uh, really cheap at the moment. It was only one ninety nine to rent from there. So really good time if especially you've got time on your hands and a couple of bucks to spare uh, definitely one giving a rental so yeah and and you know and and i think it shows me that that modern chinese cinema in 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 terms of that kind of i'm going to use the word art house but you know this 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 non-commercial cinema um there's stuff there to find isn't there which i wasn't too sure I wasn't. I really didn't know what sort of film we we're going to be watching, mate. That's the <laughs> when we picked it. Even though I had bought it on someone's recommendation, I hadn't watched it for seven years. So <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, I was a bit trepidate, tre- trepidatious about watching it. 
and then I was even more trepidatious about you enjoying it. But I think we both enjoyed it well enough. And uh, we will come back to mainland China again, I'm oh, it's sure. Always nice to know that I can surprise people with my... <laughs> I think that's the second. I think that's the second time you surprised me in, the, in a couple of films. So yeah, <laughs> I'll have to try harder. <laughs> it's, it's actually done a dangerous, powerful. What comes next? Especially when we work so blind on this show. So, yeah. um, but speaking of uh, next episodes, on the next episode is my turn to pick the film, and we're going to go with a film which I've been saying since we started the show that we're gonna cover uh, this film and. I was expecting really in the sort of first ten or episodes or so that we would have got to it, and now we're here on like episode forty six, and uh, we still haven't got around to covering it. So it's time to correct that. And on the next episode, we're going to be talking about God of Gamblers from nineteen eighty nine, um, written and directed by Wong Jing, as well as featuring an all star cast led headed up by Chow Yun Fat and Andy Lo. Uh, this is the first film in the long running God of Gamblers series. And uh, a film which I remember watching like way back in the, the day when I first started getting into Asian cinema and I was collecting like the Made in Hong Kong uh, video collection. So it was coming up with things like, you know, Police Story and Petty Cab Driver. And uh, this was uh, one of those, those films in there. And I think it's really responsible in many ways for sort of adding sort of fuel to my obsession with Chow Yun Fat which still continues now um, when you combine it with the likes of you know the killer and hard boiled and this sees him doing certainly the director Wong Jing is a, an interesting fellow as well which we'll obviously get into when we look at the film on the next episode um, but um, until then thank you as always for listening and uh, if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us and leave us a rating it really does all help rate the profile of the show you can follow us on facebook and instagram and certainly on facebook we have a really fun group community happening there as we uh, get together and share ideas on films and recommendations and if you want you can also follow us on twitter which is at ac film club and you can check out our full archive which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com Com. I think I don't know what to push. I just want to echo what you said, um, and what I hope people realise from today's episode is, if you do suggest something in the Facebook group, it might actually come to life. <laughs> so it's taken us a little while to get there, but we, um, you know, we've both we've both got our lists of films we'd like to talk about, which is um, maybe a little more mutable than we'd like to admit, and we do. <laughs> I certainly choose the film during the episode normally that we're going to go next time but um i you know i i, I think i think it's great if, if if our if our listeners can become and that community can help drive us to what they're interested in because i don't know about you mate but i i'm i learn every time um <laughs> i'm absolutely gonna learn about god of gamblers because cinema shame time <laughs> well i've seen all the spin-offs i've never seen a god of gamblers film on the main thing so that that would be really good but you know I, I quite like it when one or both of us are pushed a little bit outside of our um cinematic normalcy so yeah that's that's all i really wanted to say i'm not going to, i'm i've spent the whole day pimping different shows and i'm gonna just say listen to our right. next show. well thank you for always listening and uh until next time Take good care of yourselves, and uh, we'll see you back here next time to talk about God of Gamblers. Good night. Hey! 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 Hey!
君は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ続けていたい「夜なのさ」